Chapter 22 The Duel The intensity of the battle slackened as everyone paused to listen to the call of the trumpets. For a moment, Wara had a look of fiendish joy on his face. It's our reinforcements. It has to be. They've arrived with good speed. But a moment later, he was uncertain. He looked at Flick with menace in his eyes. Did you order this? he demanded. Not I, he swore. All along the line, the battle was tapering off. Exhausted and injured men were backing away from one another, lowering their shields, letting tired arms drop to their sides. Following well-trained drills, fresh forces immediately replaced the front lines on both sides, while those who had been fighting retreated to the rear of their lines to rest or to have their wounds bound up. The trumpets continued their call to cease the hostilities. A truce? Wara bellowed. I didn't order a truce. Yet as ready as he was to re-engage, the soldiers on both sides were thankful for a respite to at least find out from where the order came. At that moment, the rebel forces suddenly parted in the middle, leaving a corridor between them, through which the trumpeteers walked, still sounding the call to cease fighting. Wara now saw his chance. The rebels were opening for him the very gap he had been trying to drive through them. With a single order, he could wedge his army into the opening breach. The fools had decided their own fate. He was already hurriedly giving the order to be passed on to his own trumpeteers. Charge full on! What he saw next, however, caused his blood to run cold, and he found himself clinging to his messenger, keeping him from carrying out his command. A lone rider was trotting his horse up the space the army had opened. It was a knight in armor upon a white mare. He bore a battered shield, though its emblem was still clear, a red dragon rampant upon a field of white. It's not possible, he gasped. He's dead, his horse eaten. They swore to me, he's dead. The king turned to Fleck for some explanation, but his counselor stood there with his arms hanging, his mouth open in shock. The ranks around the king opened up, and the rider directed his horse through. One of the trumpeteers walked with him. When they stood before the gawking king, the trumpeteer served as the knight's herald. Devious and false king, he spoke in a loud voice. The field of battle had grown eerily calm and quiet. Everyone strained to hear the herald speak. Wara winced at his words, and a scowl covered his face. You are called out and challenged to fight in single combat. Here, in witness before your people, before the army that obeys you only for the wages you pay, and before your people who have deep and enduring grievances against you for your intrigues, misdeeds, and false-heartedness. 
You are hereby called to account for inciting rebellion among loyal citizens through an oppressive, cruel, and dishonest rule. You are hereby called to single combat. O king, do you accept this challenge? When the herald finished speaking, silence reigned the field. Everyone awaited the king's response. Wara looked up at the knight who sat impassively on his horse. His visor was down, and the king could see only two fierce eyes boring into him, filled with hate. He did not hesitate. Throwing his arm into the air, he cried out in a loud voice, I accept! And let the opposing army lay down its arms to the victor. A great cheer rose up from both sides. Before the sound abated, the king quickly turned his back to the knight and pulled Fleck to him. There is a chance we've been waiting for, my dear counselor. Don't disappoint me. I'm willing to wager my life that he has weakened from his battle with Scorch. How he escaped we may never know, nor is it my intention to give him a chance to tell his tale. Holding Fleck by the arm, he walked away from the night as a space opened up between the two armies, large enough to contain the combat between the king and his challenger. The knight dismounted from the horse and stood with sword drawn and shield raised, ready to engage the king. Wara continued to whisper instructions into Fleck's ear. The king turned suddenly, clashed his sword against his shield, and with a great bellow charged his opponent. The knight did not wait for Wara to come crashing into him, but skipped deftly out of the way, tripping the king as he passed. Wara was on his feet in a moment, enraged by the knight's maneuver. He charged again, this time more cautiously, determined to make contact. Sword clashed against sword and shield against shield. The knight was very light on his feet, twisting and turning to avoid the vicious blows from the king. Wara, who was immensely strong, was accustomed to overpowering his enemies. His blows repeatedly missed their mark and instead slashed through empty air throwing him off balance. Each time, the knight took advantage of the lurching king, striking him hard with the pommel of the flat of his sword. Stand still and fight, the king roared. Stop dancing around and fight me like a man. The knight did not respond, but continued his agile moving around an ever-growing frustrated and furious king. All this time, Fleck had been busy following Wara's last instructions. He walked among the resting soldiers, moving the fighters from the warrior's compound to stand as a buffer between the dueling combatants and the rest of the army. Here is your chance to show where your loyalties lie, he spread the word down the lines. The king will reward you greatly for your deeds this day. You will become the leaders of his army once you show what you are made of. You are his personal bodyguard. Act quickly when I give the sign. At my sign, strike down the enemy in your way. While he was gathering them and giving instructions, Fleck continued to follow the course of the battle. He had little doubt that Wara would win. He knew him to be ferocious and overpowering, in combat, 
but he was surprised by the knight's tactics. There was something familiar about how agile and nimbly he moved his body. It was strange, but it all reminded him of someone else, not of the knight who had gone off to battle the dragon, not of the knight who had been a thorn in his side all the years he was growing up. This was not the way he fought. Something was wildly wrong. Then, the last thing the knight had yelled, then the last thing the king had yelled at the knight sank in, and he knew exactly where he had seen this style of combat before. He had a moment of grim amusement at how ironic and perfect this was all working out. He grabbed a spear from one of the soldiers and stepped out into the edge of the circle of battle. The knight was moving around the space so quickly and deftly Fleck had only a moment to wait until the two were coming toward him. By now the king had been soundly beaten around the head and the ribs and had barely succeeded in landing a blow against his opponent. As the knight passed in front of him, Fleck stepped forward and, from behind, stuck the long handle of the spear between his legs. The knight went sprawling onto the ground. Before he could scramble to his feet, Fleck was standing over him, the point of the spear pressed against his throat. Everything went deathly still among the armies. Then... Just as sudden, there was a vehement protest from the rebel army. Remove your helmet, Fleck ordered the king, who was staring dumbly at this unexpected turn of events. Remove the helmet, quick before they can act. Wara did not need to be told twice. He bent over the prone knight with his knife and cut the laces that secured the helmet. Oh, false knight. Fleck accused as the king worked quickly. With the point of the spear at his neck, the knight could could only lie still to avoid sudden death. False knight, you bring shame upon us all. Citizens and soldiers, look upon this false knight. Wara had finished with the helmet and roughly drew it off of the knight's head. Long black hair cascaded forth, covering the ground around the knight's head. There was a gasp from all who were close enough to see. Well met, princess, Fleck sneered so quietly only she could hear. Did you bring me my crown? He removed the threatening spear from her throat and stepped back. Princess Aina rose slowly to her feet. I marveled how Dungboy could be so light on his feet, Fleck said softly to the king. Something wasn't right. How the princess cheated death before is a mystery, but it won't happen twice. And the knight, Wara asked, if she be here, what about him? Either dead or useless, I reckon, Fleck assured him. Otherwise, she would have not come to challenge you herself. By this time, word had passed from mouth to mouth that the knight had been fighting against the princess. Even the rebel army was astonished. Wara knew he had to make the most of this moment. Faithless girl, the king commanded in a Stertonian voice, to raise arms against your lawful king. Would you dispose me and place yourself in my steed? 
Why such an act of traitorous desperation? Have you forgotten so quickly that you forfeited your crown? At these words, there were astonished murmurings from both armies. The king turned to speak to the men standing around them. Yes, good soldiers and good citizens alike, this very princess, who falsely disguised herself as a man and attacked me so wildly, renounced her crown and claim to the throne not ten days ago at the farewell ceremony for the king's champion. She had so little regard for her royal inheritance that she recklessly and foolishly gambled away her crown and all her rights as a ruler of this land, No wonder she comes disguised, hoping to wrest back through deceit and brute force what she desperately and thoroughly lost. But you will lose more than your crown by challenging your king, he now addressed Aina. This will cost you your head. There was rumbling through the crowd as they disputed questions and possibilities in loud whispers. Then they grew quiet and looked to Aina to see how she would respond. I've lost nothing, false king, she spit back at him. True, I wagered my crown to silence the spiteful tongue of your despised counselor, but I did not bet frivolously, nor have I lost my wager. Far from it, I have kept my crown most firmly. It is easy to make claims, princess, the king scoffed, but we see no proof here. You come disguised, dressed in his armor. What further proof do we need that he is dead? Produce your champion. Let him step forward and show himself if he is still among the quick and the living. That was the bet, after all, wasn't it? That your champion would outlast all previous champions. In fact, you wagered that this champion would even survive and return from his battle. With the dragon, did you not? What a ridiculous thing to believe, to imagine that anyone could battle a dragon and survive. You don't have to imagine it, Aina declared. You have only to see it with your own eyes, and then you will believe. So speaking, and with a sweep of her arm, she gestured behind the rebel army toward the plain. All heads turned to look. Immediately, The shriek of panic rose up. Tired arms groped for swords and shields, and there was a general confused call to form protective ranks. For looming behind the rebel army stood a dragon. To arms! cried King Wara, his eyes wide with terror. His army was already recoiling from the sight of a dragon so close to them. If they could... They would have clambered up the canyon walls to escape. The rebel army, on the other hand, did not stir or show the slightest unease. Peace, Aina called out. All of you, peace, I cry. Be still and hear my voice. At first she was drowned out by the astonished, fearful cries of the soldiers. But as there was nowhere for them to run, they girded themselves what they feared was an inevitable attack and grew grimly grimly silent. Hear me, Aina called out loudly, gesturing to get their attention. When they saw that the dragon did not stir, they turned to hear her speak. The dragon will do you no harm as long as you do not raise arms against it. 
It comes with a message for the king. Be still, I pray, and let that message be delivered. At these words, all eyes watched as the dragon began to walk through the space provided between the divided rebel army. Which, Wara flung at Aina, like your grandmother before you. Up the dragon walked, up the dragon walked, carefully, intently, toward the king, Wara cowered there, firmly gripping his sword, fearful of treachery and sudden attack. Fleck stood by his side, clutching his spear, eyeing the dragon. Then an astonished look of recognition crossed his face. The dragon halted when it came to within a stone's throw of the king. Then, to everyone's amazement, the dragon spoke. "'Your time has come, O king!' This is the end of your miserable rule. Through fear and force, lay down your arms and flee with your life or die. Fleck knew that voice, and it was not coming from the dragon. Overwhelmed by the sudden appearance of the dreaded beast, he had not noticed the man riding on the dragon's neck. You again, he growled, recognizing him. You have more lives than a cat. Fleck stepped out over to Wara and grabbed his arm to get his attention. That's not the dragon speaking, he hissed into his ear. What? Who then? Gaze upon the beast's neck. You'll see him there. Dressed in his leather traveling clothes, Michael sat upon Star's neck. Unbelievable, Wara gasped. How is he alive? This is a desperate plan, Star had warned him earlier in the day, before the battle had begun. It is the best we can devise, the knight had answered. I am still too weak from our battle to challenge the king. Our army is too small and untrained to defeat the king's forces. Yet why send the maiden? I know she can be fierce. She was willing to attack me single-handed. But she was throwing her life away, said Star. And she accepted her fate. There's no need for that here. This is Aina's wish, Michael explained. The king is a usurper. He has brought suffering to her land and her people. And she blames him for the death of her mother. She is well trained in the ways of arms. I have fought against her myself and can attest that she is a formidable opponent. She has every chance of defeating the king, and she demands her revenge. And if she fails, Star asked, if she cannot defeat him, you and I will have to make an appearance. It will be the only way to save her life. I agree with all you say, Star nodded. It is a bold plan, and nothing less than boldness will succeed here. But you are aware that if they attack me, I shall retaliate. I will return kindness with kindness, but also force with force. It is my nature, and I cannot overcome my nature. 
I will once again return to my wild state. I will destroy both armies in the end, and you will most likely be with them. You will not be alive to tame my heart again. What will be the gain of that? Star, I have no intention of letting them attack you, the knight responded. You are far too dear to me for that. At the first hint of any hostility, I will have you out of there. But I will still live by the advice you gave me when you were training me. Do the unexpected, Star said solemnly. And taking a luck dragon into battle is the most unexpected action that occurs to me. Besides, why should you suddenly not bring me luck? You have never failed me before. At this, the sound of chimes, the dragon's laughter, filled the air. Now, sitting upon the dragon's neck, glaring down at the king, Michael was even more confident. Even though Wara had spotted him, the effect was what he had hoped for. The king was pale with fright. His army looked ready to bolt. This desperate plan might work after all. Lay down your arms, Wara, he commanded. Fleeing with your life is more than you deserve. You have ruled your land with a harsh and cruel hand. You have driven good and loyal citizens into exile. You have sent brave men to certain death, and all for what? So that you and the nobles can continue to feast off the fat of the land while the people are kept at the edge of poverty? Shame on you for your self-serving life. As a king, you have an obligation to lead your people in peace and prosperity and to defend them against the aggression of foreign kings. Instead, you rule with fear and hunger. You cultivated a wild dragon to terrorize the people into following your misguided lead. Be gone, I say, before I set the dragon against you. Many in the king's army were already laying down their arms, ready to believe that their safety from the feared dragon, depended upon their turning away from the battle. Wara was also wavering. He knew defeat when he faced it. Somehow this king's champion had not only survived his battle with the dragon, he also had some mysterious command over it. Whether it was witchcraft or not, he did not have the power to combat it. He was already weaving a plan in his mind how he could escape to a neighboring kingdom, raise forces, and return to take back the throne by strength of arms. He knew he had enough support among the nobility to succeed, the nobility to succeed. Only Fleck looked undisturbed. The whole time that Michael had been speaking, he had been studying the dragon. Convinced that he was not mistaken, he now stepped in front of the king. I don't know how you managed it, dung boy. You were always a clever one, he sneered. Much too clever for your own good. It got you thrown out of the one home you ever had, you wretched orphan. What did you do with Scorch, dung boy? I know you could not have ever defeated him. Is he still prowling around the forest somewhere? And where you found Star and how you got him to come here, I'll never guess. Did he convince Scorch to move on? Never mind. I don't even care for the answer. 
He paused and looked around to see what reaction he was causing. The soldiers were listening with rapt attention. The rebel army was fully focused on his words. He cared little for any of them. It was the king he most needed to reach. I know dragons, he declared in a loud voice. I've always told you that. I know all about dragons. Why? Because I grew up taking care of one, this one, this very one, and I know that this dragon will no more attack you than a grasshopper will. I know because I made his comfy bed up for him every day. This dragon is tamer than a lapdog. At least a lapdog will show its teeth if you threaten it. Why, this one even has teeth at all is a mystery I'll never understand. They serve no purpose, neither for eating or defense. Fleck was delighted with what he saw now. Soldiers were picking up their arms again. Mike Gael had a surprised look on his face. And best of all, Wara no longer looked like he was ready to run. He paused a moment to show the king, with a subtle motion of his head, what he had noticed in the distant plain behind the rebel army. Dust, Wara muttered. There's an army on the move. What did she promise you, dung boy? Fleck directed his gaze at the knight. Did she promise to make you a prince? Did Aina offer you lands? Maybe she said she would make you her king. What a joke. You've spent your life being a pretender, fooling others into thinking you deserve to have what others have earned. But the truth will always stick to you like dirt. You were raised an orphan in the gutter, an orphan because no one wanted you. Here you are, a nobody, making yourself big and important. Well, we've all noticed you, but what we see is the dung of the gutter still sticking to your clothes. Fleck's words shot home, and Michael was stung by them. A grimace passed over his face. Promises are cheap, Fleck yelled up at him, and so are your threats. Get you gone, and get your imitation of a dragon out of here. I always told you he was a useless pile of scales. Get you gone before I take a stick it to you. And so speaking, he picked up a stone and threw it hard toward the knight and the dragon. His aim was better than he could have hoped for. Distracted by Fleck's words, the knight did not even see it coming until it was too late to dodge out of the way. The stone hit him squarely in the chest, and the force of the blow nearly unseated him. The leathern clothing gave him some protection, but he was stunned and had the breath knocked out of him. He grabbed at Star's horns to keep from falling. Aina was ready. She had also noticed the dust of the approaching army and knew that she did not have a moment to lose. She raised her sword high, her black hair flying about her head. Citizens, arise and attack! Follow me! And with these words, she charged at the king, intending to renew her battle with him, determined not to let him escape or issue further orders. With a cry as if from one voice, the rebel army was on its feet and charging forward to follow their princess. They would not let her rush into battle without them. The cries of Aina to Aina filled the air. Fleck 
had also not hesitated. A moment before throwing his stone at the dragon, he snatched up his spear in both hands and, swiveling on his foot, stepped in front of Aina as she charged the king. Her momentum and the point of the spear did not rest. Fleck had only to hold on to the shaft firmly. Aina crumpled to the ground, clutching at the wooden haft of the spear. It happened as quickly as a breath is released. Seeing Aina fall, a great cry of despair rang out from the throats of the rebel army. They were incensed and enraged to see their princess impaled by Fleck's hands. Instead of giving up the battle as Fleck had hoped, they were maddened to even greater passion and anger. The army charged as one man toward the front line of the king's forces. Fleck immediately disappeared behind a wall of armed men. The warriors from the fighter's compound, which Fleck had so carefully placed around Aina's battle with the king, now closed around him, sealing him off from any attack from the rebel army. Seeing Anafal, the king raised his sword high. Victory is ours today! See, he cried, pointing out over the plain, our allies have arrived! Double wages for every man with blood on his sword! Charge! Wara led his soldiers with a crashing ring of swords, shields, and splatter of blood against the front line of the enemy. Once again, the air was filled with the cries of fury and pain. All this time, Michael had been desperately guarding Star, desperately guiding Star away from the armies. It had been a stroke of luck that the stone Fleck had thrown had not struck the dragon. Had it struck Star, there would have been little chance for him to calm the dragon once he mirrored Fleck's scorn and hatred. With what little breath he had left, Michael was whispering his enduring love into Star's ear and begging him to take them both to safety. He glanced back for just a moment, and what he saw turned his blood to ice. Choking the little breath he had out of his throat, he saw the moment Aina crumpled to the ground, clutching the haft of the spear. Every ounce of his being cried to go to her, but he knew that doing so would bring utter disaster upon them all. He had no choice but to guide Star away from the battle. Tears of frustration, fear, and pain sprang forth from his eyes. Star, he wept. Oh, my beloved, take us away from here, quickly. With a great heave, Star was suddenly airborne. Through the blur of his tears, Michael saw the army grow smaller below him. He saw the empty plain behind the warring forces. He saw galloping horses carrying riders with swords drawn rushing to join the battle. The flowing white hair of one figure in their lead caught his attention for just a moment, but his mind was growing numb with the pain in his chest and the pain of his loss. He heard Star bellow, an ear-splitting roar, and he knew that he had been too slow in getting him out of there. Star was once again wild.
Then all went dark.